I'll invite you to open your Bibles up to the book of Philippians. Well, we're reaching back into this series that we've been looking at from time to time called Transformed, Learning to Think Biblically. And uh, if you've been with us for any time at all, surely if you've been uh, with us for um, a great length of time, but even I trust if you've been with us for just a short period of time, you will know that this is true, that transformation for the glory of God is at the heartbeat of our church. And if you are with us for the first time this morning, I want you to hear that loud and clear. We, we here at Harvest Durham, we, we are about transformation in our hearts. We are asking God to grip us and to change us and to take us from where we once were and to bring us to a place of even greater praise and adoration of his son Jesus Christ. And we trust that this is what the scriptures have for us. And so we look at this series called Transformed, and what we're doing is is we're looking at various topics from the scriptures to see how we can have our thinking more in line with the word of God. We want to be like those in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, that Paul says are being transformed from one degree of glory to the next as, as they fix their gaze on the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and are made more and more into his image. We want to look to Christ and be changed. And there's a number of ways that this happens or, or ought to happen in our lives as we consider even the truths that we sung about this morning. Who Jesus is and and, and what he has done for us. We ought to be changed in in many ways. We we ought to be a people who are increasing in wonder and awe as as we look at our Savior. That we would be more and more amazed at him like those who encountered him firsthand in the Gospels were as we read many times over and over again that they were amazed, they were astonished, they were in awe of Jesus Christ. That's that's what we want to be increasing in our hearts. We want to be increasing in praise and thanksgiving. We want to be increasing in our trust and in our obedience. We want to be a people who are increasing in our hope as we look to the life to come and trust that God is going to, to bring us into his heavenly presence for all eternity, forgiven. We want to be increasing in joy in this life. And we want to be increasing, listen, in humility. That is the topic before us this morning. The topic of humility and what the scriptures have to teach us about humility, and I want to begin by just putting a a definition up on the screen behind me so that we're all on the same page. When we talk about humility, we're talking about that sense of entire nothingness, which comes when we see how truly God is all, and in which we make way for God to be all. That's the sense of entire nothingness, which comes to us when we see how truly God is all and in which we make way for God to be all. And we're going to look at the text this morning on humility, Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to look at some other scriptures as well and, and, and try and get a, a, fully, a full picture of what the scriptures on the whole teach 
about this topic. And so, by way of introduction, I just want to look at the first two verses in chapter 2. Look with me in chapter 2 when Paul says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. This is how Paul begins this section, and really he's, he's just bleeding out of the end of, of chapter 1 where he's talking about unity. He's calling for unity in the church of Jesus Christ. And, and he says, if, and, and really we could think of that as since, since you have been united with Christ and you're encouraged by that, since, since you are a recipient of his love, since you share in the fellowship of his Holy Spirit, and, and since you've experienced his tender compassion, since these things are true, he says, live for Jesus together in unity. Live for Jesus together in unity. He, he reminds the believers of what's already true of them and then he turns and he compels them to what ought to be true of them and he says, think the same way. Exercise the same love with one another. Be in full accord and, and literally that means be, be one-souled with one another. Live in harmony. And then he says at the end of verse two, again, bringing it full circle, be of one mind. Be of one mind. He, he repeats this as if to hammer home. The fact that we need to be of one mind, the, the, the subtitle of our series is so fitting, learning to think biblically. Right? Because how we think directly impacts how we live and how we act, and it informs how we worship the Lord Jesus Christ. How we think is so important. And, and Paul echoes that and teaches that in this passage by, by calling us to be of the same mind and, and to be of one mind. And, and, and you could even translate, some of your translations might say, say this, be intent on one purpose. God wants us as a church to be intent on one purpose, to have one ambition together as a church, and that is this, to be fully devoted to Jesus Christ. If you look up at verse 27 of chapter 1, Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in, in chapter th- 3, he's going to go on to say that he has, has one purpose. He, he sets his focus on one thing, and that's to know Jesus Christ more and more. And that's the purpose for us as a church. Against all our personal agendas, all, all our own inner aspirations for self God says, no, I want to reorient your thinking so that you have one purpose together as a church to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, to worship and serve him together for his glory and not for our glory. And listen, listen, beloved, this is going to happen in first century Philippi the same way that it's going to happen here today at Harvest Durham, and that is through humility. Humility. That's what we're going to look at this morning. So that we will be transformed more and more into who God calls us to be in Christ. I want us to look at three ingredients to nurture humility. 
Three ingredients to nurture humility, and I'm going to give you all three off the top, and then we're going to look at them one at a time. Here they are. Lower self, live for others, and look to Jesus. Pretty simple, right? Lower self, live for others, look to Jesus. Let's look first at what it means to lower self. Look with me at verses three and four. Apostle Paul writes, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. If we're going to make way for God to be all in all, then we need to first get out of the way. You know, some people say, never say never, right? Not God. God says never all the time. He loves to say never. And in, in this verse, he, he says, never be motivated by your own selfish ambition. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't be competing with one another. Don't be jockeying for position. Don't be looking for your own personal gain, regardless of what it means for other people. Don't be consumed by your own self-fulfillment, your own self-advancement. And furthermore, do not be conceited. Do nothing from conceit. Conceit is having an exaggerated self-evaluation. It's directly violating the word of God where Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Conceit is polishing your own idol of self. It's living under the illusion that you're something when really you're nothing. You know, sometimes we remember things that are said from uh, long years past and there's something that I heard, I want to say, maybe 25 years ago that always just stuck with me and, and it was just um, listening in on a conversation um, and listening to one man talk about another who clearly had an overinflated view of himself and this man described him in this way. He said he's a legend in his own mind. Some of us, we can be legends in our own minds, can't we? We can have these exalted views of ourselves that are really not even close to reality. We can put ourselves in, in the high place and, and be like what the King James Version translates this word, vain glory, empty glory. Putting glory somewhere where it's not. You know, we could take our name for me, I'm a, I'm a sports fan, and, and, and right now it's um, NFL draft time of year, and, and I know not all, all of you are sports fans. Maybe just think of something where you could make a list in, in order of that which um, you like the most, all right? And, and picture with me just uh, some laminated cards, you know, with, with maybe some names on them. For, for me, I'm picturing, you know, football players and and. and some white cards that are laminated and, and maybe on the back is a magnet and you can put them up on the board, right? And you can put them in, in different order. Can you picture it? 
right? And different people say, you know, no, no, I think this guy's going to go first overall. And, then, and so they move him up on the board, and then the next guy moves down, and, and, and then the next guy says, no, no, I disagree. I'm going to put him up on the board. And, and, and we rank them in order. And so often, we take our name on the order of importance in this world, and we put it right at the top. And God says, don't do that. Don't be selfish. Don't be ambitious for your own namesake. Don't be putting yourself in the highest place with with an exaggerated self-view. And we read many accounts throughout the scriptures of, of men who have done this. You know, I think of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. I, I think of the Pharisees throughout the gospel accounts. I, I think of King Herod, who was just putting himself above God and was punished greatly for it. And I think of the, the father of conceit himself, Satan. In Isaiah chapter 14, we see an account of a description really of, of what happened to Satan. The Lord says of Satan, he said, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God and I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the most high. And it was this sin of Satan that he passed down to all of humanity beginning with Adam and Eve as he enticed them to be like God as well. What we're talking about here is nothing other than pride. Pride, the the self-exaltation, the unwillingness to count oneself as nothing. Much has been written about pride. The, the great writer among the Puritans, Thomas Watson, said this. He said, it is a spiritual drunkenness. Pride flies up like wine into the brain and intoxicates it. It is idolatry. A proud man is a self-worshipper. And as we look at pride this morning and we think about pride, we need to know that the most important thing about pride is that God hates pride. God hates pride. I'm going to put Proverbs 8.13 up on the screen. This is where God says, Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. God hates pride. That, that ought to awaken us greatly this morning. To look at something that God hates and, and to ourselves hate it too. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate, says the Lord. And as we look across the spectrum of God's word, we, we see much on pride. We, we see many descriptions of pride, and I'll list a few of them here. Pride is a sickness of the heart. Pride does not escape the notice of God. He sees pride in every manifestation. Listen, pride is offensive, deeply offensive to God. Pride is in direct opposition to God. Pride is worldly and has no place in the church of God. And pride is deceptive 
It creeps in. It makes its way in, its way into our hearts. Oftentimes without us even noticing it's there. And among these many descriptions of pride, we also see throughout the scriptures the many consequences of pride. We see that pride receives opposition from God. God opposes the proud, the word of God says. The word of God says that pride will be brought low by God. It says that pride is followed by destruction and disgrace. Wherever there's pride, you can expect in its wake destruction and disgrace. Pride is extremely serious. Jonathan Edwards said this, he said, the worst viper that is in the heart is pride. It's the greatest disturber of the soul's peace and sweet communion with Christ and it's the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lust. My hope this morning is that there would be none of us here in this room that would be saying in this moment, I'm so glad I don't struggle with that one. <laughs> Not me. It's true of all of us. And, and I just want to encourage you to embrace that reality right now. Be, be done with um, being convinced that, that pride is someone else's problem. And ask God, even in this very message, even in this very moment, to reveal where the pride of your own heart lies. Got some more quotes for you this morning. There's just too much good that's been written on the subject of pride and and humility for me to keep to myself. I want to share from C.S. Lewis. He said this. He said, there's one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in someone else, and of which hardly any people ever imagine that they are guilty of themselves. May that not be true of us. Andrew Murray, from from where we borrowed uh, his definition for humility, he said this, he said, let us admit that there is nothing so natural to man, nothing so insidious and hidden from our sight, nothing so difficult and dangerous as pride. So with this biblical view of pride informing our hearts, the Holy Spirit, through Paul, uh, instructs the church, he says, not to do anything from selfish ambition or conceit and not to pursue only your own interest. Our natural man wants to look out for number one. That's, that's the pull of our, of our flesh. What's in it for me? How can I look after my needs, my wants, my satisfaction, and worst of all, my glory? Selfish ambition, conceit, looking out only for myself brings about division first and foremost between me and God, but also they cause deep division within the church. That's that's what Paul's getting at in this text. That pride, self-exaltation, causes great division within 
his church. So we must ask ourselves, ourselves, how do I lower me? How do I get low? And the very first thing we need to do is admit that I have a pride problem. Listen, pride is serious, it's pervasive, and it's subtle. So I want each and every one of us to just be sobered by the reality that there's pride in our hearts today. If, if it wasn't so, there wouldn't have to be so many warnings, even in the New Testament, to the church of God to put pride to death. Makes sense, right? It's there. That's why we need to be instructed against it. And so we need to first admit that I have a pride problem. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, if anyone would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. So ask yourself this morning, in what ways do I want to be first? In what ways do I have an inflated view of myself? In what ways do I want to sit in God's seat? In what ways do I want the attention? In what ways do I want to be seen as glorious? Ask the Lord to show you and then ask his forgiveness. And put to death your self-exaltation. Give it all up, all the recognition, all the status, all the praise that, that you want and get low before God and before others. Some other helpful ways that we can get low and, and really be training our minds to think biblically about humility and about pride. You know, we could easily be calling this message learning to think biblically about pride, right? Wherever we talk about humility, we have to talk about pride as well. So, so how, how do we instruct our own hearts or invite the instruction from others into our own heart so that we would put to death pride and we would lower ourselves, I would also say this, study the attributes of God. Study, make it a point to study the attributes of God, to look to his word and to, to mine the depths of the riches of what he has to tell us about himself in his word. And then the more gloriously we see him, the less we will make of ourselves. It's necessarily so. So study the attributes of God. Second, study the doctrines of sin. Study the doctrines of sin. See that sin pervades us to our very core, that we are born in sin, loving sin on a trajectory of rebellion against God, Study how much God hates it when we are wayward and when we reject his, his truth, which, what is the best way for us, and we think we have a better way. Study what the Bible has to say about sin. Read books about sin. Talk to others about sin. And, and, and see that, that we have much sin that still remains and needs to be rid of. And study the, study, study what 
God has to say about grace. How we deserve nothing, but God gives us everything in Christ Jesus. Grace is receiving that which we do not deserve, favor from God. And, and, and study and, and find how God paid, he sent Jesus to pay it all, not because we were worthy of such a sacrifice, but because he showed us mercy in grace. And when we look at God's grace, when we, when we consider that we are nothing other than what God has made us, that, that we have nothing, we possess no gifts, no abilities, no wisdom, apart from God implanting that within us, then we will see that our boast is clearly not in of ourselves, but in God and God alone. So that's the first ingredient to nurture humility, lower self. The second is this, live for others. Live for others. In these same two verses, Paul gives two replacements, two contrasts, each beginning with the word but. Look back again at verse three. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Don't elevate yourselves. Don't, don't position yourselves above others. Rather, be humble and esteem others as greater than yourself. Not just in a pretend way, not, not just with lip service, but truly considering others as surpassing yourself in importance. This is so much easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, I hope you feel the weight of these instructions. To consider others more important than us is a high, high calling. To take our name off the top of the list and, and move it down to the very bottom and to live like that. When we wake up every day with our name back up at the top of the list and to continually have to take it down over and over again. God says, do this in humility. In humility. And though it's not explicit in this verse, the first other that we need to humble ourselves before and live for is clearly God. It's God. He, Paul presupposes a biblical understanding of humility here that first and foremost humility is an act that we render before Almighty God. The correct order is God, then everyone else, and then me. Remember our definition of humility, the sense of entire nothingness which comes when we see how truly God is all and in which we make way for God to be all. Humility is acknowledging my lowly estate in light of who God is. And as we search the scriptures and, and look at what they have to say across its pages about humility, we, we see many um, themes tied together with a biblical view of humility. We, we often see that when God wants to teach us about humility, he also is teaching us about submission to him and to his sovereign rule and reign. All right, so when you think of humility, think about acknowledging and coming under God's rule and reign. 
Oftentimes in the Bible when we see humility, we see it accompanied with these words, before me. God talks over and over again about humbling yourself before me. When he, when he talks about those who wouldn't do it, he says they wouldn't humble themselves before me. It's his mighty hand that we are to humble ourselves under. This word low is often associated with humility. Get low, God says. Particularly the prophet Isaiah talks about humility in tandem with getting low, getting down. And oftentimes, humility is directly set in contrast with pride. Often in the same verse, God compares and sets one against another. Humility, the exaltation of God and the lowering of ourselves with pride, the exaltation of ourselves, which has to then mean the lowering of God. If God says, I hate pride, he says this, I love humility. God loves humility. I'm going to put Micah 6, 8. This is a verse you need to know. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? See, friends, God commands humility. He commands it. He requires it of us. And here's a glorious truth. Not only does he command it, but he also responds to it. God responds to the humble. When we study God's word and see what it has to say about humility, we, we see that it is looked upon with great favor from God. Humility attracts the gaze of God. God says, it's to this one whom I will look, him who is humble. It gains the ear of God. Humility gains us a hearing with God. It obtains forgiveness from God. The scriptures say that the humble are lifted up by God. They are saved by God. That God leads and teaches those who are humble and they find refuge in him. Scriptures say that the humble will receive an inheritance from God. And that the humble are given wisdom, grace, and honor. And I could go on. Humility is marvelous in God's eyes. And so it ought to be prized by us. It's been said that humility is the chief of all virtues. With this understanding of humility, Paul says, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. A very necessary outworking of being a humble person is that we will then be others focused and not inward focused. When we exalt him and when we get in our proper place, we're freed up from thinking about ourselves to consider others and humbly live for them the way God calls us to. Give it all up. Give it all up. All the prestige, all the glory, all the accolades, all the gratification of self, put it to death. And consider others. Esteem others more important than you. That's the calling of God for us from this text 
this morning? How can we do that? What, what are some ways we can do that? Well, when we think of others, we can honor them. We can honor them. We can respect them. We can listen to them. We can speak well of them. See how these are all um, taking the focus off of ourselves and serving other people? We can strengthen them. We can build them up and encourage them, others, in the Lord. We can use our time. We can use our words. Humility is focusing on others. Now, it's not to the entire neglect of ourselves. It's interesting in verse four that Paul says, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So we do need to look after our own interests. We need to look after our health. We need to make sure we get enough rest. We need to make sure that, that we are not neglecting to care for ourselves. But, but here's where the warning is. We, we, we so often get it so disproportionately out of order, don't we? I mean, the care for ourselves is, is like this much and then the care for others is way down here and God says, that's not my design for you. That's not what it means to live humbly before your God and before others. Some practical helps that will propel you to elevate others are the following. Begin your day ascribing glory to God. Start your day off by ascribing glory to him. And this will help get you in your proper place. Begin your day by acknowledging your dependence on God. Begin your day by expressing gratefulness to God. A a, a thankful heart is a humble heart. When we realize that everything we have in this life and the hope for the life to come is a gift of his grace, then we, not to, we need to be a thankful people. And when we're thankful and we realize it's all from him and not of us, then we can humbly live for him and for others. So begin your day ascribing glory to God by acknowledging your dependence on God, knowing that we can do nothing apart from him, by, by expressing gratefulness to God, and then go look for ways to serve others. is hard. This is hard and, and you may be, be thinking, who can live like this? Because humility was the very spirit of his life, Jesus was just as humble in his association with men as with God. He felt himself to be servant of God for the men whom God made and loved. As a natural consequence, he counted himself the servant of men that through him God might do his work of love. Who lived like this? Jesus. Jesus lived like this. He is the one to whom we must look. The paramount ingredient to nurturing humility in our own souls is to look to Jesus. Look to Jesus.
Look down with me at verse 5. Paul says, have this mind. Hang on, let's let's stop there. Have this mind. What mind? The verse 3 and 4 mind. Okay, so have this mind. The humble lowering of yourself, exalting God and others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have this mind. Have this mind which is yours, or we could also translate it, which was also in Christ. Christ perfectly had this mind in himself. He is the king who got off of his glorious throne. We're not the king, and yet we find it so hard to get down off of ours, don't we? God's word tells us, get off your throne. Have the same mind of Christ, who didn't hold on to his exalted position, but instead left his heavenly dwelling to come and to meet our needs. If anyone ever lived for others, it was Jesus Christ. When we consider what he did, the the condescension for the king of glory, the, the one who by his very nature is God. That's what form means. The one who is equal with God the Father emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He lowered himself. Let this grip our hearts this morning. He emptied himself, not by emptying anything out of himself. It's it's not that he ceased to be God. He emptied himself by taking on humanity. He took the form, the very nature of mankind upon himself and became a servant. The king of kings came to live among us, his creation, as a servant. Though he was rich, for our sake, he became poor. Bruce Ware says this, he says, He did not grasp or clutch onto the privileged position, rights, and prerogatives that his full equality with God, his father, afforded him in order to fulfill his calling to become fully a man who would be amazingly servant of all. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, he humbled himself humbled himself. This is not this sentence, the compendium of his biography. 
Underline that in your Bibles. He humbled himself. Stand in awe of Christ. Death. He humbled himself to death. Death on a cross. it, It would have been humbling enough for God to become man, and yet he became not only man, but servant. And not only servant, but servant unto death. And not only servant unto death, but death on a cross. The most excruciating, torturous death. And not only that, but to take on the wrath of God for the sins of the whole world. What humility we see in Christ. Who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He is our example of humility. And and not only is he our our example, but he's our very source of of being able to be humiliated humble at all. Jesus came to liberate us from the bondage of pride and self-exaltation. If he did not do what he did on that cross, we would still be dead in our sins, exalting ourselves, but fooling ourselves that we were something when we were nothing and headed down the path to destruction. He came to free us so that we could be humble and in so doing showed us the very way to be humble. Have this in mind. Have this in mind. Verse 5 begins. You know, what's remarkable about verses 5 through 8 is that they are uh, some of the most Christological verses, some of the most deeply profound verses we will ever see. And yet, in their context here, they are written so that we would be shown how we are to live how we can look to Christ so that we can be humble. John Stott said, every time we look at the cross of Christ, it seems as though he is saying to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing. Your curse I am suffering. Your debt I am paying. Your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. All of us have inflated views of ourselves, especially in self-righteousness, until we have visited a place called Calvary. It is there at the foot of the cross where we shrink to our true size. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus who simply taught us the blessed truth that there is nothing so divine and heavenly as being the servant and helper of others. The faithful servant who recognizes his lowly position by looking to Christ finds real pleasure in supplying the wants of his master and his guest. Look to Jesus. Ask yourself today, how how can I empty myself How can I leave this place and empty myself today? What would it look for me to become a servant, to be further transformed into the image of Jesus Christ to serve other people? What would that look like in your heart? And as we close 
we're going to look at just one further um, truth, one, one reality, one glorious, glorious realization. When we consider humility and dying to self and living for others and looking to Jesus Christ, you know, earlier we were talking about how, how God responds to humility and I intentionally left one, the best one, off the list to save it for last, and it's this one word, exaltation. Exaltation. Jesus taught over and over again in his ministry that whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Amazing. Amazing. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Write this truth down, beloved. Victory follows humiliation. Exaltation comes after humiliation. For those who will humble themselves, God will exalt. This is our hope-fueled desire. This ought to be our greatest motivation. To serve God, to live for his glory, and to be Hopeful and reminded that he will reward those who humble themselves. And we look no further than than Jesus Christ who himself epitomizes his very own axiom. Look at verse 9. It says, therefore, because Christ humbled himself, therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God exalts Jesus in his resurrection, in his ascension, in his glorification as as he bestows on him the glory that he had before the world began and sits on the throne in heaven awaiting the consummation when all his beloved will join with him in glory. And he gives him, the Father gives the Son the name, the the position that is above all, Lord of glory. And we see that every knee will bow down. Every angel, every redeemed person in heaven, all the redeemed on this earth, even the unredeemed on this earth will bow down. Satan and his demons and the unredeemed who are in the place of the dead will all bow down before this exalted Lord. Have you bowed your knee to Jesus Christ? Have you humbled yourself before him? Have you confessed your sin that through and through you need a savior? That apart from Christ's work of redemption applied to your life, you are lost and destined to receive the punishment that your sins justly deserve. Have you humbled yourself? You must humble yourself today. I beg you, 
Acknowledge him as Lord and yourself as lowly and in need of his salvation. Every knee will bow down. He is Lord. It's not that that you or I make him Lord. He is Lord. The question is, will we acknowledge him and confess him as Lord? The Lord of glory in his exaltation. Not all will be saved, but all will acknowledge that Christ is Lord, either with great joy or in great despair. And and I pray there would be none of us, none in this room, that it would be true that you would bow your knee and confess Jesus Christ as Lord, but apart from his salvation. Every knee will bow down in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's do that now as we sing praises to him. First, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we acknowledge that you are Lord of all, and we are nothing but your humble servants. God, help us this hour to get low, to see ourselves for who we truly are. God, would you help us to obey your command and to do what is best for us, and that is to put on humility and put to death any pride that remains, that we might live for you and for others, that we might have harmony as a church as we serve one another, living for one another as Christ the Lord lived and died, and was raised for us. We praise you, and it's our great joy now to anticipate that day when we will bow down in your presence, and we will confess with our tongues that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's in his name we pray. Amen.